Welcome to Defen episode 14 part 2 or 15 I don't know how how which number it is 14a 14a uh, well 14a is supposed 14, to be this one 14.1 14. this is 14.2 then oh we started 0 oh, yeah. so 14.0 and this is 14.1 we'll have to say yeah okay yeah <laughs> um anyway, when so we get up to is, 20 we'll stop this but yeah. honestly <laughs> i think i think once we once we get to 20 we'll just say the next episode of defan And yeah. um, because we're lazily loading these episodes, so we don't we don't care about the indexes anymore, because it's an <laughs> infinite stream just, of things. Exactly, we're just mapping over it. It's it's yeah. a seek, um, <laughs> lazy seek. Okay, um, so welcome to Defan, uh, whatever the number episode this is. Um, but this is a special episode because we don't have any guests, or uh, this is not even a village idiots uh, episode. But um, this is a special episode uh continuing on the previous uh, edi- previous edition of previous part of this uh, uh episode um we we recorded a- <laughs> go on we recorded don't, don't interrupt me i'm trying to find words and <laughs> it's a trouble yeah this podcast so- shit yeah okay go for it go on carry on yeah so uh this in this episode we have uh, three uh, new interviews that we did uh, well not new technically because we did that at euroclosure and we thought um we couple them together and then release it as an episode and in this particular one we have three uh interviews uh the first one with uh, Malcolm from uh, Jext um who is the Malcolm author of Sparks I think we should give him his full name yeah yeah Malcolm S- Sparks yeah okay uh Malcolm Sparks and um he worked uh well he he is um the author of the Yada framework for web framework web application development and we got we got to talk to him at uh, euroclosure uh and then we spoke with um, dragon jurich jurik i think um he's uh, he's the author of neanderthal he's uh, he he gave a talk about um how to bring uh, sorry the closure is not afraid of the gpu that was the talk name and uh, he was explaining how neanderthal uh, works and um, all the magical gpu stuff that you can do with uh, closure We had a long interesting talk with uh, Dragon. You know what was funny about that was that um it actually broke into two, didn't it? And uh, I think he found out halfway through that um <laughs> we're not recording. Oh, we were recording. We were, <laughs> we were recording. We were recording. Yeah. 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 But didn't he find out that he had uh he got some confirmation or something about his professorship? So he, yes, he, he got he a tenure, like, tenure. Yeah, he got tenure. So that was like a momentous thing. Yes. So, yes. During our interview, exactly. which was uh I'm sure I'm sure you'll remember it for that if nothing else. <laughs> yeah. And and hopefully we'll we'll get him uh, well he already promised that he'll be doing a full episode with us so we'll we'll get to Yeah. Maybe we should him. say that actually that hopefully all of the people that have appeared so far we we were hoping to have back um for a prolonged interview because these were only like 15 20 minutes um of interviews so we'll hopefully get them all back for at some point in the future for uh, for a longer lengthier conversation. Yeah, yeah, of course. And um finally we had David Nolan um as as our last guest for Euroclosure um or, or at least last guest interview that that we are going to make up uh, that we're going to release and uh, we we got to talk with David and um he uh, all sorts of things about closure script and uh, his work at uh, Cognitect and closure script community so um we were very grateful for all these uh, speakers who spent their time with us at Euroclosure and especially uh, a special thanks to Lynn uh, at Cognitect um she gave us support to uh, set up our own small studio and everything and record all these things 
So um, yeah, thanks, Lynn. That was really great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, we hopefully uh, get the videos processed pretty soon because we not only just the audio and Defan is now moving to um, kind of talk show level, I would say, for at least a brief period. <laughs> um, maybe it's, maybe it's not the talk show though. You know, that's yeah. That's a kind of, it's, that's a, maybe it's a slightly better production values than we have. <laughs> well, we have to start somewhere. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but. Um, we, we hopefully will release the videos soon. We'll publish them on, onto our own YouTube channel and uh, we will announce them on Twitters and the tubes and everywhere else. Um, all these interviews uh, have videos as well. So you could actually see who is speaking. Uh, we did have a nice idea that uh, we would swap our voices on, on the video, but uh, I don't think it we... still might happen. It still might happen. Yeah. We don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Just to confuse people. Uh, but. Anyway, um, so enjoy the episode and um, we will uh, get back to the regular schedule from um, our schedule. I don't know, American versus British thing. Um, Let's go for schedule. Yeah, schedule is the British one, right? We're European here. Yeah, yeah, on. yeah, of course. Yeah. We are on this side of the pond where things aren't right. Um, <laughs> the other side of the pond is pretty cussed up right now. <laughs> Let's not go there. Let's just not go there. <laughs> Stay in the happy closure place. Yeah, parenthesis, yeah. parenthesis, parenthesis. Yeah, let's let's oh. uh, let's live in the parenthesis. Uh, yeah, I just want to add that there is a little bit of a sound quality issue on the recordings because we only had one microphone and we're passing a microphone around from person to person. So sometimes you hear the little clicks on the microphone, or maybe sometimes you hear people not speaking quite so loud as you'd like them. So apologies for that up um, up front. Um, we still think that the vast majority of the quality of the recordings is pretty excellent. Anyway, um, enjoy the episode, enjoy the interviews, and uh, we'll get back to the regular schedule from um, episode number 15, I think. <laughs> um, we'll make it up as we go along. Exactly. Just like the rest of this stuff. Yeah. Okay. Cheers, guys. Cheers. So, Malcolm, uh, welcome to Def and Talk Show, uh, Euro Closure Live Edition. So, this is the first time we're trying to record video as well, so it's going to be tricky. Uh, we hope uh, it's it's, uh, it's going to turn out okay, but we never know. Uh, anyway, so um, we spoke to John yesterday. Um, we had uh, an interesting discussion with him about his experience with closure, and he told us that you were the one of the guys who made him start Jext and yes. <laughs> you know pull him into into closure. Yeah. Uh, so can can you give us some idea about you know how did you start with closure and Jext and what are you working on these days? Uh, some ideas about uh, your projects. Yeah, Jack started. Really, the two of us were in in separate banks and we didn't know of each other's existence, yeah. but uh, we had very very similarly named blog articles, and we kind of. Um, and so we sort of bumped into one another, and uh, and it was a time when we, you know, later on, and when we both left the banks, we we could have decided, well, you didn't want to leave closure, you know, we had closure teams. What do we do? So, and we we kind of discovered closure was a, a really secret and a very effective weapon to solve lots of the problems they have in banks. So we thought, well, that might be generally applicable elsewhere. So, and that's that's why we started Juxt. So. So now you're kind of doing juxt, and that's you know I think that's a great thing of getting more putting closure people in in touch with the needs out there. Um, but the project that you've you know you've been working on kind of mostly recently has been the the Yada project. So 
it would be really good if you could give us just like a, a background of it. Uh, you know, what motivated you to do it? What, what's the and what's the name? Yeah, yeah. Why the name? So, dude, tell us everything. <laughs> and uh, you got five minutes. Go. <laughs> well, I, I mean, a lot of our projects in Juxt are of similar architectures. We we love right. APIs. We love the, the integration of the you know, using the web stack and how that's driving a lot of the economy now and making integration between companies so much more uh, so much more viable. Um, and so because it's such a common thing that we do, we want to be able to industrialize it and, and give people the ability to create APIs super quickly. And we think Clojure is a, a great platform to do that on. Um, I'm a bit of an HTTP geek. I've been fairly disappointed by, uh, well, I, I, I like to uh, implement standards properly and and I, I feel um, HTTP is such a big standard and it's almost impossible to ask developers and organizations to implement all of HTTP. In fact, they should be thinking about their application domain and not be protocol network engineers. And so uh, Yada and similar libraries like Lib Liberator are trying to bring uh, web developers kicking and screaming halfway to HTTP uh, purity. Uh, and, and also to exploit all of the advantages of HTTP that many people don't know. Uh, so that's the point of Yada, to make it quick and easy to be to implement HTTP, but in a way that doesn't sacrifice performance and, and scalability. So that's been a that's been why Yada's been uh, taking me a long time to to develop. I've been working on it almost two years, and before that, thinking about it a lot. But it is a it has been a bit of a labor of love for me uh, that I've been doing kind of whilst doing uh, other project work. Um, but it's true to say that a lot, of our, a lot of our projects are in the trenches and that's really the best place to, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. So when we, when we find that we need something and we, we build it and we, and we think, well, we, we, we need something like this in a more general uh, uh, place, we, we kind of go off and, and write it. And so that's really where the libraries come from. Maybe he's, uh, you probably don't want to court too much controversy, but what the hell? Uh, you know, what was the kind? I mean, what was wrong with what was already there? Um, and we can think about like you know other languages or other stacks, but what's wrong with the kind of stuff that's already there in the closure system um, that that you wanted to uh, improve with Yada? What was the kind of you know the motivation for for just doing something new? Um, I, I, I think the. Uh, uh, a lot of libraries uh, really let you start you at this kind of CGI uh, interface where you get the request and then your job is to create the response. So there's not a lot of support for doing HTTP uh, fully in content negotiation, conditional requests, caching, uh, ranges, partials. There's whole loads of things in the HTTP specification. It's so hard for people to implement. So that was the real motivation to try and uh, rather than uh, create it in a modular way where we you know, pick and choose which bits of the specification we want, I really kind of try to wrap the whole of the specification in one library so that, you know, you just use that library and you get HTTP asynchronously. So, yeah. Okay. Um, do you want to... Okay, do it. So... Um, Hold the mic. <laughs> no, no. Um, so before creating Yara, I mean, so I assume you're using it already in your projects right now. Yeah. So before creating it, which stack were you using? And uh, the projects that you're using, can you give us an example of, of a stack? Like what is the database and what kind of solutions that you propose to your clients? 
Well, you know, before Yardo, and, and it's not as if we're using Yardo on all of our projects and we're maintaining other projects yeah. that before. Um, we, we used a whole mixture of things. We've used Composer API from um, Tommy Riemann. We used uh, a lot of pedestal, actually, and the pedestal interceptors. Uh, we've used um, Plain Ring um, and other things, too, uh, and Liberator. Mm -hmm. and, and it's partly that that was kind of the, uh, the drive of actually using all these different yeah. uh, libraries that did different things. Um, it was kind of well. Why can't we just have one library? And uh, so no, I just built another one. So now we have uh, you know even more. But <laughs> that, that, that was really the uh, coming off a project where we had so many different ways of doing things. I thought we just need to consolidate because otherwise we're just going to have you know too many of these things. Yeah. And I mean, HTTP itself. Um, especially um, from version 1 to version 1.1, it's been a static um, protocol, a static standard for a long time. Um, but you'll know that it was recently agreed that there will be a new standard called HTTP2. Um, Google have done a lot of work on this. Um, it's being adopted uh, by the browser manufacturers as well. Um, is this something, I'm kind of springing this on you, but what the hell, is this something which you're kind of thinking about or is this the kind of thing that you know, you're gonna wait a little while until other stuff settles down or infrastructure gets good? Or, you know, what's your, your kind of feeling about HTTP2? Yeah, uh, I mean, there are aspects of HTTP2 which are more at the network level and, and um, uh, I know the support for uh, HTTP and Netty, which is the, the, the server that Yada is, is built on through, through Aleph. Uh, so that is the stack. And um, in the things like HTTP2 requires, uh, or, or pretty much requires HTTPS uh, and, and, and transport level security. Um, but things like uh, server push as well, that's almost at the, that's at the network uh, end. So there aren't too many things that have changed in the what's called semantic and content of HTTP uh, that are, are that different in HTTP2. So I don't think it's going to be a lot of work to, to adopt it uh, from what I've read of it. Because yeah. I noticed from, from Google's side, for instance, they have this gRPC and uh, that that's, it seems in terms of like implementing WebSocket style interactions because obviously WebSocket. The problem with WebSockets was that it was like it was nice. It was a byte. You suddenly went to TCP/IP. You got a multiplex. And you got very nice speeds up and downstream. But the problem was that you kind of lost a lot of um, protocol. You lost a lot of visibility, and everything kind of went away. Um, so it's a valid thing to do because you know firewall friendly things, WebSockets. Um, but it seems like like HTTP two will standardize that a little bit. Is is that something? Because that that definitely seems to be changing the way that you program it at that point. Or maybe WebSockets aren't interesting at the moment. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, WebSockets is where you leave the HTTP protocol, and yeah. so you, you upgrade and you switch. Yeah. And and much of the impetus is to have very fast. Uh, low latency for message passing for games and and, and so on. So, um, yeah. So, so uh, I've tended to ignore WebSockets and seeing that as a as a network upgrade. And uh, but I I want to concentrate on things that are in uh, the HTTP HTTP and HTML space, which is uh, things like server sent events um, and server push in HTTP two makes that uh, you know the pushing of content uh, makes for uh, you know a very uh, very fast and performant low latency experience on the web. Um, so it's possible that you can uh, you can build very interactive experiences without requiring WebSockets and with 
the advantages of all of the security authentication authorization that you have uh, in already built in HTTP and, and years and years of known you know uh, security and deployment issues that have been fixed so I, I think there's a lot of value in HTTP and and uh, allowing more people to stay within the fold is valuable so, so when when people are writing their um, HTTP APIs um, they often want to do documentation around them and people using stuff like Swagger and stuff like that. Is that something which you uh, you integrate with as well? Yeah, I mean, Yada does Swagger out of the box. You can just say, right, okay, I want to take this API and I want a, a Swagger document. And because Yada is very much data to uh, de declared in uh, you know data, uh, the Swagger um, transformation to the Swagger description is just really a function yeah. a transformation. Um, uh, Yada makes use of Ring Swagger, which is uh, Metasyn's library for doing transformation between Prismatic Schema and uh, and uh, the JSON Schema format that's used by Swagger. Um, so. Yada has always had support for Swagger. In fact, it was one of the first features I, I implemented when it was experimental. Um, but I, I uh, you know, I ha have mixed feelings about Swagger. It is pragmatically useful, um, but uh, HTTP is really about dynamic discovery. And uh, the, uh, the point is to uh, allow a user agent uh, to discover uh, new things about if the server does change, that through a discoverability and evolvability, the client can can say, aha, I know there's a link called foo, but now it's pointing at a different URL, I'll follow that. So it's really putting up signposts for the client to navigate what's new about a server. And that's not a, a new idea. Humans do that on Facebook. I mean, when Facebook do a new release, I think they do a lot of new releases every week. Um, they don't have to notify everybody that there's going to be a new release of Facebook. You just cope with it. And so those coping mechanisms are, are built into HTTP um, uh, by delivering links, by negotiating media types. Uh, and so in that world, it should be unnecessary to have out-of-band documentation uh, through Swagger. However, there's, um, there's an interesting thing that one of our, uh, our Juxt associates, uh, Oliver Hine, is doing, which is using the Swagger documentation as a uh, media type in its own right, actually downloading it in clients and being able to to utilize it to to allow clients to you know call links and discover it so there's there's certainly not a, it's not a kind of clear black and white where you know swagger is out of band it, it can be used very effectively in band which is is quite a, a new and novel idea yeah. I think, do you think probably the whole swagger thing and the whole rest api thing is uh Somehow developers want to have a, let's say, an easy thing rather than a simple thing or, you know, they definitely want something where they can grapple with and the most popular APIs have been fairly static, you know, even from Google and Facebook and Twitter. Um, so, more philosophical maybe, this is a final question because uh, I really like, you know, we really want to extend this conversation, yeah. you know, uh, during the podcast proper if, if you'll be happy to do that. Um, but it would be nice to have a little philosophical question about, you know, why, why is that such a problem, do we think, you know, why, why is HTTP itself actually is kind of like, failure is too strong a word, but why, why is it failed to sort of rest and the whole concept failed to kind of grasp this, or why have the developer community failed to grasp this whole notion of this discoverability? Because I, I agree with you, but I also see it that in reality it just hasn't worked. Yeah. Yeah. 
think it's just, it's really the answer to that question is more cultural. We want things now. We want very, you know, we want our systems are, uh, to be delivered in, in three weeks or yeah. yesterday. And, and you know, we're the fast food generation and we don't want to wait. And, and so uh, that, that you get that instant gratification if you can uh, get a document and hard code a URL for, you know, list of users or something. You hard code that. And then, uh, of course, as soon as you hard code URLs, uh, then if the, the server then changes, you've broken. So you're actually, uh, by adding discoverability into your API, you're paying it forward. Where you're getting the payback is in, you know, maybe one or two or five years down the line. And, and, and so, but I think it's because there's so much emphasis on doing things now, uh, we tend to pay for it, uh, you know, with compound interest much later on. So is this a perfect case for mortgage-driven development then? <laughs> Yeah, very much so. Just a, a quick uh, final comment, though. So th uh, obviously, you're, you're the sponsors for the for the conference. Uh, thanks a lot for that. And um, I'm guessing you guys are hiring, probably. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll try to put the word out there. Uh, and you you're primarily doing just closure, right? Yeah. So we, we'd love to have you on a, on a podcast if you're interested, because I know that combined Juxt Associate experience in closure is is way beyond the roof, you know. Yeah. So, um, as we were talking to John yesterday, like, he, he built this stuff long time ago, three, four years in the in, in the closure world, it's pretty long, long time ago. Uh, because I used to follow his blog on, you know, closure at a bank and closure at a publishing house and all that stuff. So, uh, um, we'd really like to have you on the show and, and uh, thanks a lot for doing this, by the way. Yeah. 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 yeah we'd love to come along and, and uh, we'll do a, a, a nice long podcast next time. Yeah. Okay, um, welcome to Defen uh, Talk Show Edition, <laughs> live from Euroclosure. Um, so, uh, Dragon, right? Dragon. dragon. Like, like Dragon? Like Dragon, but not like, not Dragon. No. Serbian is uh, more like David. Okay. You know, it's like yeah. the, the Belong. Oh, sweet. Oh, right, okay. That's a very, uh, very, very beautiful name, by the way. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so um, you, you just gave a talk yesterday about uh, the, the closure is not afraid of the GPU and, and yeah, <laughs> that was that was an amazing talk by the way. So um, can can you give us some background on why did you start this library and you know uh, and what is your experience with closure when you did start with closure? So uh, I've been I've been using closure for a long time, like since two thousand and nine. And since I work at university, it was mostly some of my like research ideas and you need lots of flexibility, lots of freedom to experiment, to not commit to a specific ar architecture or specific uh, typeset or whatever. So I've been doing some exotic things in Java with, and I needed aspect J or some spe specialized libraries in, let's say, the beginning of 2000s the middle of 2000s or so. But it was always like you wrestle with it for months and you're trying to create something that is, you don't have a place to look at, to literature. You have your, to, to find your way, but the, the language, the platform is great, but the language is quite rigid for some such stuff. But it worked kind of or so, but I always tried to implement some dynamical stuff and was 
lots of time with it. So when Closure was uh, released, so it was, I think, uh, the beginning of 2009 or so, uh, I was regularly reading, like, the most popular, uh, like, hacker news or, or so. So I mentioned that there is increased interest in Lisp, and explored that, and when Closure appeared, I tried it immediately, and it clicked. I will, yes, that was what I was trying to do, but in a much better that, that, than I would do this. So I converted the, almost instantly and started using it exclusively. Uh, so for years, I was just using it casually. I had some ideas. Uh, mostly in machine learning and some Bayesian stuff and so, but in the Java days, it was really difficult to see how to implement this in a way that you can explore, experiment with this, because the area itself is a bit difficult to get into, to experiment, to, to see what works, what doesn't. And I think Clojure is a great match for that. So then um, when I needed to implement this in Clojure, it was like, okay, Clojure is flexible. Uh, I have good idea how I would implement it. I created some prototypes or so, but I realized, okay, Java is fast, but now when I really have big uh, demands for really large uh, computations or so, now it's too slow. So basically when you put on paper, what is the number of, uh, iterations that you need to do, what are the numbers or so, you realize your algorithm is good, flexible, and nice, uh, but everything but the, but the toy problems would run in minutes, hours, weeks, months, years, or whatever. So then I, I started investigating about, okay, but there are people uh, in C++ and everybody heard about GPU, or so there are people getting some speed increase with this stuff, but how it's done and can it be done in Clojure? There were some experimental libraries, but not working. They, they didn't work that well. So I had to, now you, you go down the rabbit hole, you, you fix one problem and you, then you discover 10 other problems. So I realized that uh, the libraries that were available uh, at the JVM, at the time, even the, the, and, uh, some excellent uh, featureful libraries are actually not what I need because they always try to satisfy the corporate Java world to be Java-centric, to hide these, these high-performance uh, features from the user, like to protect him. But in, in protecting the user, they just uh, uh, take away lots of performance and lots of flexibility and add many complex layers. So if you need to debug uh, something or to, to um, fit it to your own uh, needs, then it's really difficult. So I realized I have to provide some. So you're working on this Neanderthal library and that, that, is, uh, that is part of your whole uncomplicate uh, umbrella. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, can, can, you, can you tell us something about the library? What, what are your plans for the library and, and why did you start this thing? Is there, is there a commercial project or something or is there something that, that is a use case that you're uh, going after? Yeah. Well, uh, so basically uh, I have uh, some ideas uh, of how I would 
how I would use Bayesian uh, machine learning or data analysis commercially, or some of, some of it would be open, some of it would be uh, part of some service, some, some long-term plans. Uh, why I needed, uh, basically Neanderthal is free, open source, uh, works really well. I have some feedback from real users who are like uh, excited. It's, it works really well from, for them. Uh, and I'm uh, on this long time, so uh, I have uh, such luck or, uh, to have freedom to uh, not be a startup that needs money and have some short run, uh, run, uh, runway or have to provide something in two months so they need to rush it to just work somehow uh, but don't be really well polished or so. So I have time to dedicate to this so I some, sometimes I have something working well, but I realize that there, there, there are some points that could be improved and I spend two or three months just to, to get it really right. And um, that's why I think uh, it could be really useful for a lot of people because I will certainly develop this for years. So basically, uh, and I also, this is not the only uh, stuff I work on. So basically, I uh, completed the stuff that is the most important that I needed. There are stuff that uh, could be implemented rel relatively quickly. It's ready. The infrastructure is there. Uh, the native libraries are there. Are there? I know how to connect uh, to to it. I know how I would implement that. I didn't want to rush it because I didn't have uh, the concrete use case. So it depends on the interest of people. So if people, if I see that people want, okay, I really need this uh, functionality. I need for my my application, especially if they can help or uh, provide some code yeah. or yeah, or contribute some funding so we can develop something uh, that is, uh, for example, more uh, polished or more documented or whatever. So these are there are many opportunities on that. Um, so basically, if you use this, uh, you don't have to be afraid that I will forget about it in a month. Uh, and uh, okay, Can I, just um, on on that subject, are you actually, you know, because you're a professor, so are you thinking about like, are any of your PhD students or anything like that interested in in a field where they can use this kind of technology and maybe use also contribute and add to it or you know, is that the sort of thing that you're looking for or um, you know, yeah well there are some uh, PhD students uh, experimenting experiment with this and some master students experimenting with this but I think the point is that I don't think they at, that, at this moment they can help much because all of these people have their day jobs so they cannot dedicate too much time to this uh, but yeah of course but the point is I, I'm I, I don't run away from coding I actually like coding and uh, I'm not some professor who have uh, 10 PhD students and then uh, just have some bright ideas and then uh, and then uh, just put it uh, to the workers I do everything myself and I think that's why Neanderthal is quite uh, easy to use because 
I use it myself. So I create this for myself. So you, uh, that's why it should be easy for developers. Uh, so that's it. There was there was one question I was asking you before, which was about the um, like the tool chain for for all of these things. Because whenever you get into this really high performance computing stuff, um, you know when you're going bare metal and all this kind of thing. Well, actually, maybe there's another there's two parts to that. Actually, it's like I guess we're really talking bare metal here, and that virtualization is not a great idea. Or are you kind of like on the fence about that? Obviously, Amazon runs virtualized, um, but. But then if you get to that core CP, whether it's virtualized or not, um, people have to often include native libraries and all these kind of things, which makes the tool chain a bit more tricky for standard closure developers. How, how, do, you, how do you think that can be addressed? I cannot give a specific answer because I don't use it myself on containers. But I suppose because, um, uh, Let's say if we counting developer machines, let's forget about virtualization at start. The thing is, uh, it's and it's one of the main uh, values that Clojure adds uh, here. It, I think, it's pretty much uh, easier than using this stuff without Clojure. So for the native for the native part uh, on uh, Mac OS, for example. You just need to have your development machine and Neanderthal will work out of the box. So you don't have to do anything special if you have development environment set up for Mac, Macintosh, Macintosh programming or so. So it works out of the box as any other closure or Java library. Yeah. On Linux, uh, you have two options. You either want it to be uh, optimized for your machine. In this case, you have to uh, compile uh, Atlas uh, native library. It's automatic. It's not so difficult. It's a make and standard uh, C stuff. Uh, but it could be a problem for people who don't really didn't really do that. So there is documentation. The the it's clear, but some people might be afraid of it mm -hmm. at first. Uh, but luckily, I, I think all major distributions provide Atlas as a package. So maybe it will run at 70% of speed or 90% of speed or 40% of speed, depends on how your machine is close to the their machine where they compile it. But it will still be much uh, faster than uh, Java stuff. And the point is, uh, there are lots of algorithms in native libraries. You don't even have them implemented properly in Java. So that, that's one door where we can get amazing uh, functionality like decades of development and optimization basically for free with no overhead, with some pleasant API, with lots of uh, functions that, are, that feel like closure. So you don't lose much. And there is a third part, which is actually the most awkward, it's Windows, uh, because um, uh, I don't use it. I don't use it for a long time. Actually, I don't even use desktop. I, I use window manager, so, and I don't have a mouse. Uh, but uh, the point is, on Windows, it's a bit more tricky, but now it's not difficult, because if you send me an email, I will, show, I will send you my uh, libatlas.dll 
So it's it's not a problem. And you you can also build it yourself. This is the native part. So if you want to really put it on a server, I guess in virtualization or so, I guess uh, you will see how native libraries themselves uh, work on that. And I suppose because all software that uses those also works on uh, vir virtualizations, yeah. uh, virtual machines. So I, I don't see that there could be any issue there. Maybe you you need to configure something in VM or or do some stuff, but there is documentation. People already do this. As for the Neanderthal stuff, if JVM works, yeah. it, it will probably work. The GPU stuff is a bit different because to use GPU, uh, obviously you have to have drivers yeah. for the, that GPU. So it depends on the vendor, if you use Intel, if you use uh, Nvidia or AMD, it depends on which operating system you have, how stable the drivers are, but pretty much it's uh, it's useful today. So depends on your specific case, there could be more or less some uh, need to experiment, yeah. but basically it works, it works well. It's not as stable as standard server software for CPU, obviously, because it's exotics hardware, but if, if Google uses it and don't have any problem, I suppose that it's mature enough that you can uh, create a new novel algorithms or, or so for it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're right. Um, I'm just thinking about talking about Google there. Um, some of the some of the stuff they're doing in terms of uh, and this this whole. Um, I, I, you tell me whether this is uh, in your in your kind of space is the the TensorFlow uh, and the OpenAI stuff. Is, is that the kind of thing which you're you're hoping to target on, on some of these activities? Well, it seems that you're you're really well prepared because you're 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 asking uh, the right questions that uh, I would love to answer. So, so are you uh, ha have you prepared for this, or, or you're just improvising uh, as well as I uh, do? Yeah. Yeah. No, is is no, no. The questions are really, really the right ones. Uh, I couldn't uh, think of better questions. The thing is, now as I see, I don't have any connections to Google. For uh, I, I don't uh, know anyone uh, who who is uh, who has some position, uh, some important position in Google. So I don't know what, what do uh, do they actually plan or think or whatever. But why, what I can see, and probably what you can see, is that TensorFlow and deep learning is now uh, like the most popular machine learning stuff that 99% uh, of people who, who are looking into this stuff, they are like looking, okay, deep learning, I, I can create some uh, terminators with it or so, some kind of... Uh, uh, so, some some kind of uh, artificial intelligence that will work uh, while I'm sitting on on a beach or lying on a beach and just uh, taking sun bath. But I don't think uh, we are close even close to that. The thing is, yeah. Uh, the thing is, uh, I I think Google and Facebook and Nvidia and uh, those uh, powerful 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 companies, they. Um, now they they have uh, several user um, several use cases that work really well, like image recognition or, or so. 
and it worked really well and uh, um, but mostly uh, to be successful with that uh, you have to have lots of data and uh, and that's great i i think uh, many more use cases fit into it fit into it but not all use cases so me personally are i'm not very interested in deep learning because uh, I think uh, there are lots of people working on that. There will be lots of good results. There are lots of good results. It's working fine. Let's see what the hype will produce. And it's not only hype. Lots of useful real stuff is there. But there, there are also cases, uh, especially with smaller companies, with exotic use cases or so, when you don't have a, a big data, you have small data, like... You don't have 100 billion photos, but you have 100 data points about something. And Bayesian methods are actually good for that kind of problems. And not Bayesian is also quite exotic. Now, lots of people are kind of interested, but uh, not much uh, technical output is there. So I think with Bayesian stuff, uh, I understand this problem more. I understand the area more. Uh, uh, maybe it's just my personal preference, and I also seek how I can use it for some specific yeah. uh, stuff. Yeah. And I hope, uh, and also the competition is much uh, weaker there. <laughs> so I hope while uh, while all other people are working on deep learning problems and big data, I'm working working on Bayesian stuff and small data. So when this uh, kind of uh, application come come to you know, on the spotlight. Uh, I will have uh, a lots of uh, solutions that already work, and I will be able to to provide some real value. So that that's that's some kind of general plan for for these libraries, uh, by Adera especially. Yeah. That's so. Um, sorry. No, I think we're pretty much done. No, that's okay. Of course, I mean, we, we are, we're going to do a full episode uh, with you and then, you know, dig deeper into all the libraries that you're building and <laughs> probably, probably there is, there is there is a lot of interesting stuff going on, obviously. Um, so this is your your first time at Euroclosure or what uh, were you before or so? Oh, OK, so how, how are you enjoying Euroclosure as, as a final question? Um, well, um this is my first, not only uh, Euroclosure, but uh, it's my first developers conference. Because uh, previously, uh, all the conferences that I went, all the conferences that I went to were like academic conferences, lots of people. Everyone was talking, uh, presenting their uh, work, ideas or so. Uh, but I actually, I, I actually like this way more because uh, there are not thousand talks there are only a selected uh, tens or fifteen so you can concentrate like hear what people do uh, talk with other people there is, there is uh, the atmosphere is much more focused and also relaxed so you can find people who are all already interested in the stuff that you work so you can uh, share the experience and actually what is uh, interesting uh, for this uh, these exotic libraries that I presented like there were like 15 or or even more people who approached me and says oh that was interesting uh i think uh i can use it in my startup or whatever work i i do and i was 
trying to do this, but I couldn't succeed before. I see how this could benefit me or my friends. And most of those people uh, didn't really know that there are other people in closure conference. For example, there was this guy who who has some company in Germany and Russia. So they, they, they actually don't do closure or just started doing something, but they do GPU with NVIDIA and so in C++. So he was like, I was chilling and uh, I, he didn't he didn't look at the, the, the talk list. So he, he scheduled, so he didn't even know that there would be GPU stuff. So he was like, oh, awesome. This is the stuff that I, that I need to understand or, or so. So uh, there are lots of people who, who are interested in this who are not aware that there are lots of other people in closure community that actually wa uh, want to try this stuff. So it's an it's important point, you're not alone. Yes, yes so. that's good, yeah. Right, well, yeah. well thank you very much, Dragon. Um, great answers, and like Vijay said, it would be really good to have an extended conversation um, over the podcast, so that would be, be really good to have you back on there. But I think we should stop now. Right, well, here we are. Stefan podcast talk show, podcast talk show type thing. David Nolan in the house. Hi. Thank you very much, David, for coming along. It's really an awesome honor to have you uh, here today. Um, you, we've given, you've given your talk at Euroclosure now. It's all over, so you can relax, have a few beers um, or whatever. Um, and uh, we just want, thought we'd have you on here just to talk about you know, a few things to do with growing the community, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, so sort of open question really about how do you think we can, you, you made a few comments in your, in your uh, talk about this, but what do you think are the big hitting factors that we can help to grow the community from the Java people, the, closure people, uh, the JavaScript people, you know, that kind of wider community of, of people that are kind of curious about functional programming but maybe aren't quite there yet? Yes, um, I mean, so that's a, a great question. Um, I think, you know, when it comes to programming languages, when you're sort of starting out, um, you have to convince people to use it when you have no users, right? right. When you have no users. And often programming languages, they cater towards like um, the sort of language geeks, like you have a cool feature, immutable data structures, functional programming, you know, all these, all these that's what gets the people to try it out. Uh, you're offering something that other languages don't have. But I think in order to sustain the growth of a programming language, eventually you're gonna have to be able to reach out to developers that maybe um, aren't really interested in the fanciest features. They really want to solve typical problems. They want to know how um, your technology helps them solve typical problems. And I think there's a huge hurdle. At a certain point in, a programming, in, in the life of a programming language, people want to know, show me something that you've done with this. Show me that you've done something with this. Show me products or applications. Uh, show me that you've been successful with the technology. Um, and now that, we, now that we're this far along with Clojure, you, you go to these Clojure conferences, and it used to be I would talk to somebody like, do you use Clojure? And they're like, well, you know, late at night when I'm hacking. <laughs> um, and now, you know, people are like, yeah, I use, it, I use it at my job. I've been using it for two years, and we've, we've built a really a great project with it, and we've got new projects in the pipeline. Um, and that, at that point in a, in a programming language, this life, you really want to uh, take a moment and say, okay, we know it's succeeding, we know it's good. Um, uh, how do we grow our user base? How do we reach out to, um, uh, again, uh, this wider wider group of developers? Um, uh, because again, you can't just focus on people that are looking at, um, looking for just 
going for cutting edge features. That's not enough for, um, I think, the bigger audience. Yeah. yeah. DJ? So um, one thing I, I wanted to ask is that, so you're now spending a lot of time on, on building ClojureScript. And um, so do you also do consulting along with uh, writing ClojureScript to different customer projects or you're primarily full-time working on ClojureScript? Uh, so um, I, at Cognitech, um, Cognitech mostly is, you know, does consultancy work, but they're also a product company and I'm actually, and the product that they have is Datomic. I'm actually on the, on the Datomic team. Um, so um, I, I do spend, so I've occasionally spent some time um, to help out um, on the consulting side with consulting projects, but most of my time is spent working with the product team. Um, I do, uh, of course, spend a lot of time uh, continuing to steward um, and guide the ClojureScript project. On uh, and that that that's you know it used to be that I would do a lot of work there, um, not just you know actually write tons and tons of code. Um, but these days it's been great. I mean, there's more contributions now than there've ever been. Um, and a lot of my time is, is, is helping other people succeed at contributing to ClojureScript. And I think that's also um, a huge factor in its future success, that people beyond, you know, just me at Cognitech or a couple of the people at Cognitech understand how ClojureScript works fundamentally and are able to make significant uh, contributions and push the project forward. Yeah, I think talking about contributions as well, to get us back on track, because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the kind of thing we should do. Um, we were talking about contributions, and we saw this uh, this talk from Maria um, last year when she was talking about the summer, Google Summer of Code, where she added the support for modules. I think it was um, into the Google's the the ClojureScript uh, compiler. That seemed like a huge move forward in terms of interoperability um, between ClojureScript and JavaScript. And um, we see that with other languages that that seems to be the big thing which actually is bringing the, close, the JavaScript people in to uh, the non, you know, the compiled to JavaScript ecosystems. So it seems to be a barrier for Elm for some reason because they're, they're seem to, they want to have like ports and stuff like that. Do you think we can go any further than we have already in the closest, not necessarily you, but other people in the community contributing? What kind of things do you think we could do there to, to make it a bit easier to consume libraries or to, to reach out to existing JavaScript libraries? Uh, so that, 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 that's a good question. Um, there's actually a lot that we can do, and I've spoken um, about this a little bit, but we also have to be very realistic um, about the limitations of what's possible. I mean, one fundamental limitation um, is that ClojureScript uses the Google Clojure compiler. And when you sit down and you write a ClojureScript library, it, it absolutely is ready to be consumed by Google Clojure. Google Clojure can optimize it, it can dead code eliminate it. We produce the perfect code for it to consume. Um, but people that write typical JavaScript libraries, they're not, they're, not, they're not used to this idea of advanced compilation and getting um, sort of um, highly optimized code splitting. They're just, they've never had it, and they don't know the value of it, so they don't feel compelled to write code in a way that's easy to statically analyze. So at, at a certain point, there's, we, there will be certain libraries that just won't work that great, right? There's nothing we can do about that. Um, that said, that said, um, it's surprising how many libraries that people write that are actually don't involve a lot of metaprogramming that are written mostly a static style. It's, it's, it's really surprising. People tend to write pretty boring code, yeah. which is actually something that Google Clojure can understand. Um, so 
uh, Maria's project is a huge step forward in saying, in the universe of JavaScript libraries that are, that are out there, I bet 30% of them can pass through Google Closure without a problem. And we would like to um, make that stuff far, far, far easier to consume. Uh, we, we, I hope it's clear that we take interop extremely seriously, and we, and there's um, that initiative is it's basically an alpha status, the, the JS module processing, um, and and just recently we landed a patch in the current release that updates our our support for that, um, and people have tested it out, and it and it works pretty well, um, and we want to hear more feedback, and we want it to make it better. So yeah, we 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 want the JS interop story um, to be really great. Uh, but people do also understand there is a, there is a limitation to what yeah. we can do yeah. based on the fact that we can't convince the entire JavaScript world to change the way that they write code. Just one more point on that. I guess it, it's about benefits, isn't it, at the end for that kind of stuff? Because dead code elimination, people I think often think on the server side it doesn't really matter. Um, you know whether you whether you ship you know um, 400 megabytes or 300 megabytes. It, you know it's 100 megabytes. It doesn't really matter. But when you're shipping JavaScript libraries uh, and you can bring it down to you know, 2K or 10K rather than 2 meg, that's going to work a huge amount of difference, isn't it? And that's the kind of thing you can really sell if you're, if you're giving people that kind of win. It's not necessarily a performance win in the sense of you know, raw numbers on a GPU, but it's a performance win from a usability perspective and a you know, time to function kind of perspective. <clears throat> Do you think that's the kind of thing which could potentially, like the JavaScript guys could leverage a little bit with ClojureScript, that they could bring that story in, you know, out to bear a little bit? Uh, so that's, a, that's another great question. I mean, we do have to remember that while um, I think ClojureScript has a, somewhat of a different philosophy about what the best way um, to go about programming um, for clients is, uh, the, the truth is that most JavaScript developers are experts with respect to um, page load time latency. Um, so there are, they are concerned about this problem, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and people have done all these studies, you know, if, if your web page takes longer than one second to load, chances are people don't actually wait. They, don't, they just go, they go off. So performance is critical for um, uh, engagement. Um, so they are, they are very aware of this. Uh, but I think what's happened is, is as the JavaScript community, community wants to build more ambitious applications. They want to bring in React, Immutable Date JS, Lodash, Moment.js, um, High Charts, and then suddenly their their JavaScript application is two megabytes. And even with their Webpack and yeah. you know their compression methods, are like our JavaScript is still a megabyte. It's a gzipped. It's a megabyte download, um, and it's because um, again. Uh, there isn't this wider discipline ecosystem to support things like dead code elimination and code splitting so that I can manage that. Um, and I think that's why um, we've come out of necessity, right? It's because like, if you look at the closure script standard library, it's, it's 10,000 lines of closure script. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. closure script would have been more or less a non-option. Like yeah. It would have been dead in the water if we did not have an answer to the fact that we, we have a very start, large standard library. So out of necessity, we decided to go with Google Closure, and I hope that um, as um, the wider sort of JavaScript community understands it, uh, that we could be um, that could actually draw people, people who who aren't necessarily their their interest is not in like JavaScript or ClojureScript. They're like, oh, I really want to solve the UI problem as best as I can, and actually ClojureScript lets me leverage JavaScript libraries, and then that is really nice language. And I think there's a kind of a large audience there of I would say. 
UI programmers who don't necessarily aren't obsessed with JavaScript or not JavaScript that just are looking for the best tools to solve the problem. Um, and I think if we focus on that group, I think we can make um, a lot of inroads. So you're you're leading the closure script um, project, and Richie is leading the closure project essentially. So is there any situation where when when you guys are thinking together that okay, there's going to be a new feature that we want to add into closure? Oh wait a minute, we need to think about whether this can be ported ported into closure script. Uh, are there any hurdles like that, or or uh, did you ever find yourself in that situation? So that's a good question. Um, I mean, Richicky wrote Closure Script, so he's so he's pretty familiar with um, um, the limitations. Although sometimes, you know, he doesn't actively work on it, of course. Um, so he, you know, he uh, he'll implement something. Uh, but fortunately, I'm a, I'm there at Cognitech. You know, yeah. when when Richicky comes up with an idea, you know, I'm there. Other other Closure Script developers are there, and so we'll we'll often chime in and say, you know. Um, We'll ask questions. What are the yeah. repercussions for something like Forexing, Forexing. for instance, is a very interesting example there. Where what are you going to do in terms of Coresync? It's only single question. Yeah. So, so Coresync, Coresync is is a great example, though. He already knew that he wanted uh, that to work in ClojureScript, yeah. so he he'd already he'd already planned that one pretty well. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, that is reducers then or transducers. So transducers again, also very clean, very clean yeah. to port. Um, actually. Um, Closure spec is actually a case that was pretty challenging right. uh, because um, there's a bit of metaprogramming in closure spec, um, and we can't we can't faithfully port specifically some of the testing functionality, okay. uh, but it's we can provide something that's good enough. So there, you know, so things some things that are, are functions in closure they have to be macros, but of course um, these come up in discussion. You know, they may they have to pick a certain design, and I'll be well. That's great. Is it okay that? script is going to be a little bit different from Clojure here in that we'll have the same API, but we'll have to have documentation that's clear that these things aren't functions in, in script; They're functions, macros in script. We're having some fun with the screen. <laughs> Sorry about that, by the way. Well, it's, it's, it's a blue screen, so we can change it to anything. You know, that, that's much better. Um, yeah, so uh, I just want to... Uh, ask you a quick question about so you're in a band right you 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 you, you, you well, go around the tour and um, so can you uh, can you give us some idea about what what you play and and that kind of stuff about your band? Yes. yes. Uh, so I don't actually have a band currently. So the lads. So, so I did have a band like uh, about a year ago that was sort of active and we did some stuff. But uh, in in the in the band I played guitar and I did a little bit of singing and I you know I've been playing music for a very long time with some very good friends. Uh, right now, it's, I'm in between bands, so to speak, but uh, I do have people that I collaborate with. We, we work on music together. So I'm still, that's still happening. It's still active. Um, but there's nothing for me to speak about yet. Right, right, you know, it's still right. like in the, um, I don't know, gestation. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's magic. Well, yeah, uh, that's really good. Thank you very much, David. Uh, yeah, this is our first venture into this stuff. Fantastic to have such a great guest as yourself. Really honored to do it. Thank you very much. And uh, you get a free mug on the back of this, okay, which is really great. Yeah. <laughs>